Right then, welcome to Be Positive on men's and women's radio stations. Be Positive, if you haven't listened before, it's the show where I hunt down people from all over the world and I get to talk to them about positivity and motivation. And so far, we've got to hear some great stories on the show and ideas about positivity and motivation. Most importantly, we found out a whole host of simple techniques that you and I can use in our everyday lives. If you've missed any of the shows, you can catch up with all of them on the men's and women's radio station websites where they are all available as podcasts. Now, to kick us off this week, I want to tell you about an incident that took place recently in my local town. I was wandering through the town centre and I noticed a group of people gathered around a new bench. I assumed something bad must have happened. That's pretty much the only reason I would normally see a huddle in a town centre. But when I managed to be as nosy as I could without looking obvious, I got closer and I saw on the bench there was a sign which read, Happy to chat bench. Sit here if you don't mind someone stopping to say hello. And not only were there people sat on the bench talking, but all around it were people talking about the bench. And I thought this was a wonderful idea right up my street. So when I got home, I did some digging and I found that the bench was one of four that's been put into my local town by the council with the support of several local organisations, including mental health charity, refugee networks and age concern. And I thought to myself, I love this idea. A happy to talk bench. I've got to find out who started it and whether this is a a thing or whether it's something new or is something that I've missed. So I did a bit more digging and I am honoured to be joined by the lady who started the whole idea. Welcome to the show, Alison Owen-Jones. Hello there, Paul. So what is a happy to talk bench? It's actually a happy to chat bench, Paul. Happy to Um, chat bench. Yes. um, And it's an ordinary bench that uh, I chose to attach a sign to. That could uh, could uh, so that people would know that uh, someone. Let me start again. If someone sits on this bench, they will be happy to have a chat with somebody else. And where was this? Right, it started off in May two thousand and nineteen, and I was in my local park with my dog, and I happened to notice a very very elderly gentleman on a park bench opposite me. He, had, he, he looked like he had physical problems, that he'd taken an effort to get there. Um, and when my dog ran up to him, he, his face lit up with glee <laughs> and then it fell again when uh, the dog came away. And I thought, well, poor dad, perhaps I should go and have a chat with him. He's there by himself. But something held me back. I thought, what if he doesn't want any company? It could be awkward. What if he sees me as a threat? And then it occurred to me, If we had little signs on a bench here and there that said, happy to chat bench, sit here if you don't mind someone stopping to say hello, then people would know that they could just sit down and start a conversation without feeling awkward. 
Amazing. Where where is your local bench? What I'm in Cardiff, the- and in so Cardiff. the uh, my original bench was in Roth Park in Cardiff. Wow! And so you what, did you just affix a sign of your own? Yes, I came back to my computer and I designed the sign. Um, I had a laminator, so I laminated it. I punched holes into both sides and I attached it onto the bench with string. An hour after I'd seen the gentleman, and I never did speak to him, um, (laughs) the sign was up there on the bench. What happened next was it was quite exciting because I forgot about it. But my son sent me a picture from Twitter, which I wasn't on showing my bench, a crowd of people around it, and um, somebody saying, I love this, and 300 likes. I went, oh, where did that come from? (laughs) It's absolutely fascinating because I... I've experienced exactly the same thing with people when I'm walking the dog as well and thought, how do I engineer a conversation? How do I find out if they want to talk? Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. So it's a fantastic idea. But how did it get from one bench in Cardiff to being one in Surrey? <laughs> me. Well, it, uh, it's gone further than Surrey. Um, first of all, when I saw that the bench was quite popular and that the park rangers hadn't taken the sign down, I decided <laughs> I would go out and put a sign on a bench in all the parks in Cardiff. And we've got about 17. So that was my project for the summer. And I was going around there. And at one time, I was about to fix a sign to a bench and two old ladies came up to me and said, is this the happy to chat bench? (laughs) Oh, good. We've been looking for it. And I thought, whoa, this is really taking off here. So I joined Twitter and I put in happy to chat benches and I could see these little signs popping up all over the north of England. And then it spread out um, because it was all being spread on the internet, on Twitter and on Instagram. And many people saw these. I mean, I'm holding a sign here that, that you can see it, but they're, they're, they're just a piece of paper that's laminated to begin with. And so they're cheap and easy to create. And many, many people did do that. So the people just off their own back did exactly what you did, made their own sign and stuck it on a bench. Exactly. I did put on Twitter that if people might be feeling awkward, they might have a row for doing it for, without getting permission from the council or something. But I, th- I said, what's the worst that could happen? They'll take it down. Well, never mind. You know, these, are, these aren't permanent signs anyway, the original ones I started off with. What happens is if you put one of those up and people like it, then you go approach the council and see, will they put up a permanent sign attached to the bench? And of course, that's much better. And it's a fixed place where somebody can go if they need someone to talk to. So they start popping up homemade signs over the northeast of England. And is it now sort of even more official? Uh, yes, if you um, if you go into Twitter or just go Google Happy to Chat Benches, they're all over the world. They've got them in New York. They've got, got them in New Zealand. They're, um, they're, I'm traveling next month to Krakow because they're opening one there and they invited me to the opening. It's uh, It's gone right across the world. It's marvelous. You must be over the moon. I am, to be honest. I, I was an English teacher and I do a bit of writing. I never thought that, what is it, 10 words would have so much impact 
on on so many people then that so many so many would get would look at that and think that's a good idea. I could do I could do with one of them in my village. And I guess anybody can start one. Yes, absolutely. As I say, what's the worst that can happen? You know, it gets it gets taken down. Um, certainly, people could approach their council and and say, "Could could we have one, please?" But if uh, they're like many councils, it'll be months and months before they get, they turn up with one. So push yourself forward a bit, put the sign up, and see what happens. I the one near me. The reason it got such attention was there was a queue. No. Yes, there was a queue of people waiting to sit down. Oh, that's lovely. That's the best news I've heard all day. <laughs> and and I was like, well, this is incredible. But it, it did occur to me that they could sit at any bench. Yes. <laughs> I think they just wanted the officialness of sitting at the proper bench. It gives somebody permission. As you said, well, when yourself and you're out with the dog, does somebody want to talk to you? Are you going to be looked at as being a bit odd? Or do you think you're mad or something? Um, but here, you've got permission to sit there. Have um, you any sorry. idea how many there are now? Uh, well, hundreds throughout Britain, certainly. I don't know how many across the world, but uh, there are certainly pictures everywhere of them sprouting up. And what I really like, apart from the happy-to-chat bench, there are other chatty benches out there. I'm not pretending I invented that, you know. Of course I'm not. Um, but the sit here, if you don't mind someone stopping to say hello, that's certainly me. And yeah. this, they're using those words right across in different languages. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. It got me smiling ear to ear, and it has, again, just talking about it because I think it's such a simple but fantastic idea. I imagine... Last year and coming out of lockdown, it got even more interest. Well, of course, it got awkward during lockdown. They, uh, um, Cardiff itself was going to put up three benches in various parks, but they pulled them at the last minute when we were put, uh, put into lockdown because they said we don't want to encourage people to sit and talk to strangers. Of course yeah. they don't. But now we're coming out. So, and people have been, we haven't been allowed to speak to others. It's, it's been crazy. Uh, but now, now um, people are going to be encouraged to get out and talk again. And they're going to have more confidence as the COVID restrictions are lifted. So thank goodness for that. Absolutely. And I imagine after being locked up for 18 months, like everybody has, there's going to be an awful lot to talk about. Yeah, well, uh, trouble is, nobody did anything, did we? <laughs> you know, did you go on holidays? No. Uh, no, but, but it's, I, it's the I relief of being able to talk to people at yes. last. <laughs> I looked up and apparently... Currently, 7.7 million uh, people live in single households in Britain. 7.7 million. So all of those uh, will be desperate to come, go and have a different face to talk to. And just even if you only talk about the weather, it doesn't matter as long as you have a chat and, and an exchange of views and see somebody else smiling at you. It's, it's, it's necessary for people. Well, on behalf of everybody who's used one everywhere in the world, thank you for thinking of such a simple but wonderful idea. Well, I'm very uh, happy to have taken, uh, played a small part in it. I have a feeling there's a movie in the making with this story, <laughs> certainly a book. And it's happy to chat and we just look for it on social media. Put it in and look for images and see how many come up. Brilliant. Fantastic. Alison, thank you so much for telling us about them. 
You're very welcome, Paul. Thank you for your interest. I think it's an absolutely wonderful story. And if you do a search for Happy to Chat Bench and the name of your area, you can find out where your nearest one is and you'll be able to see just how far and wide they really have spread. I'm even contemplating making a new podcast just sitting on one of the benches and see who I end up talking to. Now, regular listeners to the podcast will have heard me talking about my dad and his attitude to life, motivation and positivity. Well, sadly, he passed away a couple of weeks ago, but he'd made it to the very respectable, his words, not mine, age of 92. My father was pretty much always positive and totally motivated I tried to boil down his attitude into a simple sentence. And what I came up with was that he never said that he thought something couldn't be done. I don't think I ever heard him say, I can't. He always said there must be a way to X, Y or Z, which usually involved him going away and thinking about the problem or challenge and then returning with a solution. I've mentioned before about his attitude to life. My sister, when she was a toddler, my father enrolled at night school to learn to swim so that he could teach his daughter how to swim. When he was 65 and he retired from working, he went back to night school to learn to cook because my mother had cooked all of his working life and he wanted to be able to take over that role and give her a break. He had a passion for gardening and when he physically couldn't do so much, he didn't stop or give up. He just changed his entire garden into one of raised beds that would be easier to handle. When he got to 90 and even this was too strenuous, he turned a whole lot into tabletop gardening, complete with an automated watering system and meters of special hoses branching out in every direction. If something didn't exist, it could be invented. If something was broken, it could most certainly be fixed. And if someone needed help, they would come to good old Dennis and he would either know what to do or know someone or find someone who could help. He treated everyone the same way, and he told everyone straight what he thought. He was totally pragmatic, but he was a romantic with very old-fashioned values. He would very often, in recent years, comment about being old and knowing that he was lucky. He often said that the Chancellor was probably upset that he'd got such a great pension and had kept going for so long, and that his shelf life was better than most supermarkets. He also believed that a friend of mine, 40 years his junior, was the girl he was destined to be with, and it was only COVID that was stopping them from being together. He was only half joking, I'm pretty sure. He was a highly positive man who, as a consequence of never saying it can't be done, invented many a gadget, wrote many a helping letter and put a smile on 
many a person's face. Now, obviously, my father passing away has been a time of extreme emotions for me and my family personally. Not all sad, of course, because I'm aware that my dad's life should also be celebrated at this time, especially as he had such a unique outlook and touched so many people. But grief comes in many forms. And so I've been looking at it closely for my own benefit, but also for something that could be of benefit to listeners of the show. So looking at grief from the point of view of positivity and motivation might seem paradoxical, but it's not, as hopefully you'll see from the advice I've gleaned from several people. So here's some simple nuggets that I've distilled. Firstly, there's no time limit for grief. It might last a long time. It might not. It might come in waves. It might not hit you for quite some time. But don't ever think there is a set time scale or set time limit. If someone was a major part of your life, it's not realistic to think that just because you've gone through a grieving process, you'll no longer feel sadness or regret when you're reminded of it. Grief is about learning to accept and manage our sadness, not to eliminate it. Another point I've been told that's really important is not to compare your grief to other people's. Because everyone's life and circumstances and the nature of their loss to them is unique. You might feel quite differently and experience different things to other people, no matter how close they are to you. So don't think that your grief should look and feel more like somebody else's. Don't resist the urge to grieve. Make time to grieve. As someone told me this week, trying to avoid difficult emotions only makes them stronger in the long run, which is not beneficial. So someone told me to flip this advice on its head. Run towards it. By deliberately approaching difficult emotions like sadness, we then train our brain to become more comfortable with them. And while sadness might always be there, it's a lot easier to work through and to bear with when you're not also overburdened with fear or shame or frustration and other sorts of feelings that you get when you think of sadness as dangerous. Practically speaking, one of the best things you can do is to make time to grieve and be sad on purpose. Literally make some time on a regular basis to approach your grief and sadness intentionally and willingly, no matter how bizarre that might sound. So you might make 10 minutes every evening just to write in a diary about the sadness you're feeling or about the painful memories when you approach this willingly, and this goes for so many difficult things as well, it sends a signal to your own mind that what you're experiencing 
is painful, but it's not bad. It's not dangerous. Just like someone who listens compassionately, grieving intentionally validates your pain. Remember, grief is a response to a significant loss. And while sadness is often large, dominant, and a big part of your life at that time, it's not always and only sadness that you'll feel. So it's okay to feel happy and even joyful at times. It's okay to feel angry, disappointed, even if you're feeling that towards the person you've lost. It's okay to feel afraid or anxious about the future. In short, it's okay to feel anything when you're grieving. And while many of the emotions we feel are difficult or painful, it's important to acknowledge and validate them as natural. My next guest today is a coach and a mentor with some unique ideas about emotions. Welcome to the show, Rachel Wallace Lane. Great. So it's, it's nice to be here. So, Rachel, you're a coach, a mentor, uh, and a trainer. What type of areas do you specialize in? Um, so, with my mentoring and coaching, I work specifically with people in the corporate world, voluntary world, or the um, public sector. So, I cover all, all sectors um, and working with all sorts of people from you know, directors who are stuck to frontline workers who are, you know, maybe at a crossroads and just looking to make a change. So is change the reason most people come to you? Yes. Or they are stuck. Do you find most people have no idea what they want to change or how? No, I find there it's it's so different, Paul. So some people will come with a very clear expectation of this is my plan this is what I'd like to do and let's take six sessions to do that (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then other people will come and sort of go I'm interested but I'm not quite sure why and you know it can take a good six sessions just to get to oh that would be interesting let's work on that do you get very surprised or sorry, do people get very surprised when they find out actually what they wanted to change is different to what they started out with? Absolutely. Those people that come with a very direct plan, um, quite often we will work to that plan, but quite often it goes off in a completely different direction. <laughs> mm. And how do you go about finding out what would actually do somebody any good in terms of change? I think... Um, listening, Paul, is the is the main thing um, for me. It's kind of, you know, you can listen, and then there's listening and hearing. Mm-hmm. So, as a coach and a mentor, it's really important to be able to be actively listening to what they're saying. So they might be telling you one thing, but their body is telling you something quite different, or their, you know, their facial expression or their tone of voice, or so. Yeah, being really, really tuned in to. Um, not just what they're saying, but how they're saying it, I think. Mm-hmm. And this, in 
modern day, there's a, such a vast variety of coaching available. How does anybody decide which route to take? Is it mainly by recommendation or I'm curious, I've, I've never had a coach from an emotional point of view. So it really intrigues me. Mm. Um, I get 95% of my business through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you're looking to engage with a coach, you know, when you've just did that, you know, you maybe you want to make that change or you're at that crossroads. Um really exploring the options that are available to you, the people that are out there and finding somebody that really, really aligns with your values, I think would be my advice to people. Um, I, I, you know, there's on the odd occasion I've met with people and actually recommended somebody else and said, right. you know, actually, I think you would work really well with this person because they have more experience in your field. You know, if I'm mentoring somebody so that, um, sort of being able to fess up that you might not be the the right person for somebody is really important um and not making an assumption that when you meet for the first time with somebody on so I always have a chemistry call so it's just a you know we talk a little bit about what they're looking for maybe what I where I come from um and uh, just to make sure there's a match so it's important to to make sure you're a match and if you're not to say we're not a match. And in the world of COVID, where a lot of those chemistry calls will be happening online or on the telephone, how how quickly do you know this? Per- I'm not right for this person, or this person's not right for me. Mm-hmm. Well, historically, coaching was always done on the phone. Right. Um, so that's an interesting thing because people have been asking me that, you know, oh, is it different having to do everything online? And actually, no, it's not for me. Um, I work all around the world with people, um, and, and, and always have, um, and I've always done it online or on the phone. Um, if people are in Edinburgh, then I love meeting up with them. Um, but genuinely the in answer to your actual question is that how can you tell? Paul, I think you know when you're building a relationship with somebody, you can just tell. So I, I'm really intrigued how when someone comes to you and you you agree that you've got the chemistry to make it work, how do you start getting inside their head to find out what they really want? So we... I have lots of sort of tools and techniques and there's not one specific way because, I mean, you know this yourself, that everybody's different. So some people will be very sort of wordy and they like to talk everything through. Um, So having those really key questions that you know are going to stimulate somebody's thought process. Um, Whereas some people like like a picture. So, you know, I might use, um, you know, the wheel of life, which is just a circle and you just each segment is a piece of your life. So family, finance, work, life balance. Um, So I might use something like that. Um, But it it genuinely depends on on the person, what's going to work best for them. And you have to get a gauge of what that's going to be for that person by asking them. (laughs) And 
do most people um, open up quite quickly? I, it, it swings and roundabouts. Some people are very quick to open up um, and tell you lots of things. Um, but actually, they're maybe not telling you the the thing <laughs> yeah. that they need to focus on. So as a coach, for me, it's about really bringing them back and, and getting them to focus. So I work with some people who will, you know, within 20 minutes, we can have done a fantastic piece of work because they've been really open. And, you know, um, when somebody is incredibly emotionally intelligent or incredibly emotionally literate, um, you know, that we can get to the nitty gritty of things really quickly. Um, sometimes when people haven't had the experience of, of coaching um, before or just an opportunity to, you know, to kick back and ask those big questions, um, there it'll take a little bit longer. I'm curious about the phrase emotional literacy that you mentioned there. How do you define that? Yeah, so if we look at emotional intelligence, it, it, so that's a person's overall ability to deal with their emotions. But emotionally, emotional literacy um, suggests a person's ability to communicate their emotions through words and be able to see them in other people. Right. Is that a learned skill on the most part? Yes, I think we can definitely teach emotional literacy and intelligence. Um, I think some people naturally have it. And is, is that about being open or getting their emotions into words? It's, it's about getting it into into words. I think that, well, both actually being open, but also getting it into words. Um, I think if I can, if, can I give you an example? Yeah, please do. Yeah, so so I do a lot of work with organizations developing like values-led approaches um, where organizations will look at their values to support the resilience and well-being of their organizations and staff. And whilst I was doing that, I spent a lot of time listening to people. And one of the things that just kept coming back was how often people would say to me, well, it's just what I do. Hmm. So, Paul, I don't know, you know, how often you've heard either yourself or others saying, oh, it's just what I do, and then brushing it off as if there's nothing to notice here. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, so I hear parents, um, you know, if we compliment them on, on bringing up their children, you know, so they're feeding them, clothing them, nurturing, and in essence, keeping another human being alive. But they just brush it off and go, oh, no, you know, that's what expected. It's just what it's just what we do as parents, isn't it? Or, you know, when you've noticed a key worker and they've really taken time to listen to somebody and, you know, they're smiling and they're really taking an interest and really hearing the impact that life's having on that person. And when, and when, when you ask them about it, they say, oh, you know, no, that's just my job. That's just what I do. So I'm always intrigued as to how easily people just shrug that off. 
And when I hear, when I hear it, um, I'll always come with a bit of a challenge and it's kind of like that, you know, so, you know, that thing that you just do, well, I actually think that's, you know, pretty amazing. And how about we take a moment just to notice it? So you'll have some people, um, when I do this, they can see it as a real opportunity to to learn and explore their contributions and maybe um, identify it as a another way to adapt their learning and, in, you know, really enjoying that emotional literacy. But my experience, I'm not sure about you, Paul, but my experience is that a lot of people find that tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Most people um, are embarrassed Scot- by it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there's an element of learned behavior there. And so I'm calling for, um, and I'm in, in Scotland. And, and as a nation, you know, we're not very good at blowing our own trumpets. Um, and some people might find it strange and uncomfortable, particularly if it's behavior that we've learned. So I don't know about you, but when you were little, um, you, know, you know, it's not nice to brag. Uh, you know, or it's not polite to talk about your own achievements. I think generally people are bad at taking compliments. I remember a few years ago with my wife when uh, I used to say she looked nice and she'd say, oh, shut up. I said, no, I, I do this and you do this. We've got to cure it. It's wrong. So if I compliment you or you compliment me, I just say thank you. Um, and I, I now do it if someone says, you know, if com- someone compliments me instead of just saying, I find what you just what you'd expect, you know, I deliberately say, you're welcome and take it. Um, and it's a lot more healthy. And I guess that's uh, very similar to it's what I do. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I'm, I'm, all, I'm kind of reminded as well of um, Ian McDermott, who was the founder of the course that I did with um, ITS. And when he talked about the importance of how the best feedback feeds forward. So I really like this um, and like to consider that by sharing people's actions and the ripple effect that those actions have on, you know, those people around them. Mm-hmm. How does this become food for thought and and food for growth and truly feeding forward? Because one person's actions will then affect the next person they meet, fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I suppose there's that. I always have that sort of challenge for people. So the next time you hear that statement of, you know, oh, it's just what I do, and whether it's from yourself or from somebody else, you know, you might just take a moment and reflect on what is it that you just do and really consider the impact that you're having on others. Um, Or if it's with, you know, if you've heard it from somebody else, really support them with their emotional, can't say that, with their emotional intelligence. And like you're saying, that's lovely with that, you know, that um, level of of growth in your relationship with your wife and that sense of, no, let's let's look at this and just take a moment and suck up that good feedback. (laughs) Well, also, I I found that... um the, the person giving the compliment 
is almost uh, dismissed when you try and um, brush off compliments. You know, if you say to somebody, uh, that was amazing, thank you, and they go, no, don't be ridiculous, it's nothing. It's brushing away your compliment. Whereas at first, our natural gut instinct is to sort of kick back and go, no, I'm going to sound really conceited if I go, yeah, thank you. But I'm actually being um, respectful of the person who's given the compliment. Yes. Absolutely. And 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 I and it is that there's an element of oh, maybe it's mindfulness, but just that what yeah, just sitting back and and holding it for a minute. So what got you into coaching, Rachel? What did you do before? Um well, I had fifteen years working in the corporate sector in London doing marketing, PR, um, facilities, that sort of stuff. Um, did quite a bit of traveling. And then I came back to Edinburgh um, and um, worked in property and operations. And I sort of spent an awful long time making an awful lot of money for people who really didn't need any more money. <laughs> so I made a decision to um, move into the voluntary sector. So for the past 15 years, um, I've been developing award-winning individuals and services that prevent homelessness. Um, right. I've got a really key interest in system change um, and sort of being that positive disruptor in an organization um, just to create a better experience for all the stakeholders, you know, clients, staff, trustees, everybody. I'm very intrigued. How do you, I mean, it's a it's a great concept to have. How on earth do you go about intervening to stop homelessness? Oh, that, well, that's huge. <laughs> Where do you start? Um, well, yes, well, um, everybody would approach it differently, but it's starting with the, with the people, isn't it? It's starting with who's affected by homelessness and you know there are so many different people affected by the causes and consequences of of homelessness um you know whether it's you know young people leaving home either in a planned or an unplanned way um you know whether it's a breakdown in a relationship there's that you know key statement that you know we're only three paychecks away from being homeless now homeless and and I wonder if it is actually three for a lot of people mm. um so yeah I'm not quite sure how to answer that question but I th I think maybe there's a bit about being aware like really seeing what's going on in your neighborhood uh, in your community you know as I said I spent 15 years in the corporate world I had no idea what was going on in my city and it so opened my eyes to to our society and what we become blind to almost you know you walk past different parts of the um city and just don't notice what's going on it's not until somebody really points it out and you kind of go oh you know, that's not right. You know, people deserve 
everybody deserves to have a home. Mm. Is there one cause more than other than another you find as a general rule? With regards to becoming homeless? Yeah. Um no, I think there's definitely the, the the key ones. So you'd have your, you know, your relationship breakdown, um, work, you know, if you lose your job, um, addiction. Um, yeah, there's there's so many. Right. Um, those are the key ones that sort of sit in, in the back of my head just because those were the services that I, I worked within. So, yeah. Um, is that very frustrating, getting things moving? So you asked me why I became a coach just yeah. a little while ago. And I, 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 um, so yes, and that's why I'm a coach. Right. <laughs> um, it, it's very frustrating. And I think, so for, for, for me personally, um, so as I said, I'd spent 15 years, um, working in the homelessness sector and my experience was that you can demonstrate um the quality and care um within these organizations that support people um and you know you can give commissioning officers you know this service you know has a 99.9 percent success rate and we're delivering in budget um, and, you know, they'll be like, well, you know, we'll just take that out to tender, though, and um, we'll give it to the cheapest person who's going to deliver it, who's maybe not going to achieve the 99.9% success rate. Um, and I just found that soul destroying. Mm-hmm. And not that I don't have the empathy for the commissioning officers. You know, they have a tough job. It's it's not an easy job. But it is that, you know, you can provide all of the evidence that you like. But depending on who's who's writing the check, um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. So, so that was my frustration. Um, and um, that's why I shifted over to become the positive disruptor. Um, and started to support um, the cultural transformation within organisations of, of supporting, you know, values-led organisations develop um, tools and resources to support their staff. And part of it was supporting their staff with the, with the level of frustration. Mm-hmm. I, I know that you do... Um, you're keen on making your coaching accessible to everybody which must come from those years of working in that line. If you're doing um, pro bono coaching and you've got you know, a wealthy client, are they, at the end of the day, the same type of people or is there one type of person that's harder work? Um, everybody comes with their own stuff. Um, I, I, so, yes, you're right. My My overall intention is to make coaching more accessible and to kind of help people see the true potential and create the life that they want. Um, so, so yes, I do a, a lot of pro bono work. Um, I make it very transparent. So my business, um, 
my business plan is it's a values-based business model. So that means that um, I can ensure that any profits from my business are used to subsidize those that don't have the financial resources to pay for quality coaching. But my um, corporate clients all know that. And, you know, that sits really well with them. So, that, yes, they pay a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but they know that when they do that, that they are actually supporting somebody else who can't get hold of that coaching um, because they don't have again. the financial resources. Yes, absolutely. That pay it forward. Yeah. 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 But I think there's also something about um, that that accessibility is around, um, and I, I'm not sure what your experience is of this, Paul, but the some people think that coaching is for, you know, your C-suite, you know, so your directors and your ch- trustees and people like that. And actually, I think... <laughs> that everybody could um, benefit from coaching at some point, you know, or mentoring in their life. And so there's a bit for me about actually making it accessible in that sense. I I think you're absolutely right. And that one of the reasons I asked the question I did right at the beginning is I think a lot of people, because if you're not a CEO or a director or a trustee, you've never been exposed to what coaching might be, you know, it, it and it is such a broad field. What would coaching mean to, you know, someone, uh, you know, if I was a, uh, I don't know, a leaf picker, <laughs> a job I would love, actually, um, how would people don't see how coaching would help them? because they've never been experienced to it. So with that in mind, can anyone, in your opinion, create the life they want? Yes, if they have the resources that they need to be able to do that, yes. Um, I think it's, I think what's interesting is, and it's come up quite a lot in the um in the last, in fact, it might be the, the COVID thing, but that, you know, when people look for their purpose. So, you're, you know, if I was to say to you, you know, what is your purpose, Paul? <laughs> um, my purpose is to be content and make others happy. Yeah. So there's, so, but it's, it's, a, it's a question that sometimes we don't very often think about. No. Um, and so actually taking a bit of time. So when I set up the business, I had been sort of doing pro bono work for um, the Chamber of Commerce as a mentor. Um, and um, I had a lot of people coming back to me saying, oh, you know, you finished that um, contract, but can we can we still use you? And I said, well, not within that contract, but, um, you know, absolutely come and use me. And that's, that's how I set up the business. Um, and it just grew from there. Uh, and it was that word of mouth, word of mouth thing. What do I want my business to look like when I was, when I was doing that? And then I had, I went, oh, right. Okay. Well, I actually need to ha- ask myself some really, really fundamental questions, which is a bit like 
when you coach somebody. (laughs) (laughs) So I was kind of going, oh, right, okay. So this is really helpful. So I was learning, you know, um, although I've been coaching for 20 years, I actually sat, took some time to do a qualification and um, sitting down and going, yeah, what is, why am I here? Um, I came up with um, my purpose is to be the best I can be and give more than I take from the world. Um, and then that sort of led into, you know, the intention of, of so my intention is to make coaching more accessible. Um, and then, then, then how would I, how would I do that? Um, so yeah, so really taking time to explore what, what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> Um, and I think it's one of those um, sort of I must tell you moments in the sense of, you know, when things happen and then it means that something else has to happen. So, yeah, yeah having lots of things happen at the same time. So, you know, both my parents had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, I'd had some very close friends die very suddenly um and somebody incredibly close to me had the biggest piece of elective surgery a human being could have um and all of those things happening in, and it sort of makes you go hmm okay so here's an opportunity <laughs> um and much though we love the universe when they keep throwing us those life lessons um Sometimes it is good just to sit back and go, you know, what 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 do I want? And that's where the business came from. All of those happening at the same time. And and oh yes, and don't forget the pandemic. We'll just throw oh, that yes. one in. Yes. Um and um so yeah, just having to really think about what it was that, that I wanted and that sort of yeah, I just, I coached myself. Well, I coached myself, but I also have an, an amazing, um, what I call my circle of allies um, who support me through all sorts of interesting challenges. And now you're asking other people, what is it they want mm-hmm. on a daily basis? Yes. So, Rachel, what characteristics do you think you have in you, if I, if you had to name three of them, that meant you ended up as a coach. So, if I was, if somebody was to describe me, um, they'd be going, "I'm a planner, I'm a fixer, um, and I'm a disruptor." Yeah, none of those things particularly um, helpful in coaching because you <laughs> should be doing none of those things at all. <laughs> but what the coaching training taught me was that it's okay to be those things, but that's not what somebody needs when you're coaching them. So I have learned to listen and and really, really hear what people say. And I think that's what I loved so much about working in the voluntary sector and spending time with, you know, people from, you know, just such a diverse group of people. It was just incredible. What a privilege. And really listening to what it was that they wanted. 
um, and what's important to them. And so I am, so for the coaching side, it's like I'm curious <laughs> <laughs> um, and transparent. So I'll say what I see, um, which, you know, some people don't have people that tell them what they see. Um, and uh, so that's always a, an interesting journey. Um, and, I, and I hope kindness, compassion. <laughs> You sound like a Poirot, kind, curious, transparent, says it how it is. A bit of investigating work going mm, on there. Yeah. Who inspires you? Is there one particular person that you have in your mind's eye? I am. Mm, a lot of people at the moment, interestingly enough, it's my mother. So my mother, as I mentioned, she has um, Alzheimer's. Um, but when I was looking to um, make a change, um, when all of these things happened to me, I looked to my mum in that sense of when she was, oh, I'm going to say she was 50, um, when she took a completely different change in direction and completely retrained and set up her own business. So I was kind of going, oh, okay. So if mum can do it, <laughs> I can do it too. Um, so at the moment, my mum sits very high, high up there. Yeah. That's, that sounds um, very similar to my father, who when he retired, decided to go back to night school. He was like, well, I've, I've done that job. Now I'm on to my next thing. So went back to night school. Um, Rachel, how do we find out more about you? Um, well, yes. So you can find me at rachelwallacelane.com um, to discover um, how coaching can help you, you know, find the life that you're looking for. I'd love to hear from you. And just before we go, one question I try and ask everybody, if you wake up in the morning and it's, you're not feeling 100%. What's your go-to tool to turn the day around? Oh, yeah. So a, a friend of mine talked to, about his power hour. Mm. <laughs> um, and I was really intrigued by this. And so I now have, mine's not really a power hour. His was all about lots of exercise and lots of <laughs> um, <laughs> powerful things. Mine is... Um, is actually just taking stock almost. So I like to, in my power hour, I you know <laughs> do a bit of journaling. Um, I try and do a little bit of exercising. Um, I will walk the dog outside in nature and just really sucking up all those amazing things that are happening. You know, even if it's a bee or a plant or you know whatever it is, but just being I get in that curiosity. It's kind of like, okay, so I'm not feeling great today, but I have all of these tools and resources. I also have discovered these things. They're called um, animal cards. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. No. <laughs> it's a fantastic tool. So this is about, for me, it's about like, so how do I want to turn up in my day? 
you know, so if I'm kind of going, oh, I'm not having, I don't feel great today. It's like, well, how do I want to turn up today? So there's these things, they're called animal cards. And basically it's like a big pack of cards and on each one of them is an animal. And then it has a little description um, of, you know, what, what that animal is. And so basically you can take it as being, so this is what I'm going to be today. And today, Paul, I am a whale. And I will tell you what that means. It's very okay. short. <laughs> this is a card of mastery. Um, one of the first steps to be able to take control is your breathing. And when you focus on your breath, you connect consciously to the support or to the source and your place of origin. Whale wisdom suggests you center yourself through breathing or deepening your meditation practice. So it just sets me up in the morning. I kind of go, oh, okay, right. I'm going to be a whale and I stick it on my computer so I can see my whale. Mm. And every time I'm going, oh, I'm not feeling great. I look at my whale and go, just remember to breathe, Rachel. That's, that is <laughs> lovely. I love that. <laughs> and and I love the power hour. And I love I love it even more because with your accent, it sounds almost mythical. <laughs> power hour. Power hour, yeah. yeah power I, I, hour. It, uh -huh. <laughs> it's great. Um, but yeah, just I think it's just that, you know, finding it's so common to wake up and just go, oh, you know, but it is a choice just to turn that around. Um, and it, yes, it can be really hard sometimes to do that. Um, but my goodness, it's worth it, you know, even for the bees and the plants. <laughs> Absolutely. Rachel, thank you so much for talking to us today. It has been an absolute pleasure, Paul. Thank you very much. And rachelwallacelane.com is where you'll hear more about Rachel. My thanks to both my guests today, and I hope you've enjoyed the show. Don't forget, if you know a brand or a company that would benefit from aligning itself with a show about positivity and motivation, then do get in touch because we are on the lookout for suitable sponsors. That's a tongue twister. Keep your comments coming in. Don't forget, you'll find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just look out for men's radio station, women's radio station. And if you haven't done already, head over to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got lots more guests coming up in the next few months. So keep an eye out for new episodes as they drop, as the kids would say. And listen back to all of our podcasts. That's it for this packed episode. Until next time, stay safe, stay happy and be positive. <laughs>